Happy 4th of July, everyone, and welcome to a bonus episode of Terror Radio Podcast. If this is your first time joining me, then welcome. This is a podcast dedicated in bringing you the best of horror and thriller, old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. I am your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, and I'm going to make make this short but sweet. Tonight, I am featuring four old-time radio shows that were, I wouldn't say, deal with the 4th of July, but were broadcasted on the 4th of July. And these are some great stories that I hope you enjoy. So, without further ado, this is Terror Radio. The four radio series highlighted tonight are Mole Mystery Theater, Suspense, Inner Sanctum, and Murder by Experts. The first radio play is entitled Challenge to the Listener, and it was broadcasted on Mole Mystery Theater July 4th. 1947. Following that is the radio play and evening diversion, which was first broadcasted on suspense July 4th, 1946. After that, we have Pattern for Fear, which was first broadcasted on Inner Sanctum July 4th, 1949. And we conclude with the story Two Coffins to Fill which was first broadcasted on Murder by Experts, also on July 4th, 1949. So, you all know the drill. (laughs) Sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to Challenge to the Listener, followed by an evening diversion. After that, Pattern for Fear. And the conclusion, Two Coffins to Fill. Good evening, Creed. Welcome to the Mystery Playhouse. just heard the first scene of tonight's story, entitled Challenge to the Listener, written by Hugh Pentecost, and featuring two of your favorite radio stars, Richard Widmark and Everett Sloan. In it, you will meet two men, one the killer, the other a detective assigned to track him down. Now, the author, Hugh Pentecost, has deliberately avoided identifying the two men, and all the facts are given. Nothing is concealed. So let's see if you can spot the killer and successfully meet the challenge to...
to the listener. Our story begins in the lobby of the Summer Hotel in the mountains just a short distance from New York. The desk clerk and another man are listening to the radio. And now here is the latest word on the Nancy Bradford murder. When questioned in his office late yesterday, Police Commissioner Henley had nothing new to... Hey, why? Why'd you turn off the radio, Bart? Because you're going to drive yourself nuts, Pop. You've got this Nancy Bradford case on the brain. Oh, my gosh, I, I, I think you'd be interested in the murder. You a cop and all. Look, I'm not a cop. I'm just a house dick. And you're not a cop either. You're just a desk clerk. Now, leave them matters for the police. But, Bert, uh, I have a... Excuse hun- me, huh? please. Oh, uh, yes, sir? Any mail for me? Name's Hartman. Jerry Hartman. Uh, let me see. Uh, H, H, and... No, sir. Oh. Well, thank you. Uh, papers just come in at 11 o'clock this morning, Mr. Hartman. Complete story on the Bradford murder. Want a paper? Well, I, uh... Special oh. supplement. Complete story. All right, I'll take one. Here. Here you are, sir. Thank you. Now, what was I saying, Burke? Oh, yeah, yeah. I got a hunch the killer's up in the mountains around here. At least the cops think he is. Yeah? Why? Well, I heard that we got a plain clothes man staying right here in this hotel. Who told you that? Oh, just heard, that's all. One of the maids told me she saw a revolver in one of the rooms. Good night. That don't prove nothing. Proves plenty to me. Look here. In the paper, it says that the killer left two pine needles at the scene of the crime. We got plenty of pine trees around here. Good morning. Morning. It's nearly 12.30. I must have slept late. Compliment to your beds here. Uh, any mail for me? Doyle. Huh? Doyle? No. No, Mr. Doyle. Oh, thanks. By the way, what does the paper say about the weather today? I was thinking of getting in a little fishing this afternoon. Well, the paper says clear and sunny. But my rheumatism tells me it's going to rain. Well, I'll take a chance after lunch anyway. Now, Bert, is he the plainclothes man? Eh? Now, don't tell me he ain't taking you into his confidence. You a cop, too? I'm not a cop. Pop, you must have been hitting that rheumatism medicine pretty hard this morning. I've never seen you so worked up. Well, I have a feeling there's going to be plenty of excitement around this place. And I'm going to find out just what goes. Okay, Pop. Listen, I'm going to tell you this, because if I don't, you'll nose around till you mess things all up. There is a plainclothes detective here from New York. What? I did it. it. And there is a possibility that the Nancy Bradford murderer is here. Holy mackerel. The detective took me into his confidence because he figured he might need my help. Now, will you keep this all to yourself? Murderer here? Well, what do you know? So does that Doyle fellow? He's back. Paper says... The paper says, and I quote... The doorman of Nancy Bradford's hotel described the killer as a tall, short, fair, dark, fat, thin man wearing a gray snap-brim hat, blue-tinted sunglasses, and a tweed topcoat in July. In other words, the description of the killer given by the doorman is worthless. Well, I don't know. Check that Hartman fella. He's thin. And fat. No, no, no. Mr. Doyle, he's fat. Oh, Pop, forget the whole business. Well, the paper also says... The killer must have been crazy or something to beat her to death the way he did. So long. Where you going, Bert? I'm going in to get my lunch. Oh, Mary, you got a table for me? Oh, it just sit down any place to see empty, Jim. I'll take your order in a minute. Waitress. Oh, waitress. That man wants you, Mary. Yeah, I see. Yes, sir. Are you ready for your dessert now? <laughs> oh, 
I never take dessert with my lunch. I'm too fat already. Oh, it very good today. No, I'll just have coffee. Coffee? Okay, I'll get it right away. Now, uh, wait. Yeah. Do you know uh, everybody here at the resort? Well, not everybody. It's... Over at that table by the window, uh, that man reading the newspaper. Wait. Oh, the thin man with the blonde hair? Yeah, that's right. Do you know him? Uh, no, sir. You see, over the fort, we have quite a crowd. Okay, and... thanks. Uh, you can bring me my coffee now. Okay. Miss. Waitress. Uh, yes, sir. I wonder whether you could help me out. Huh? I think I know that man sitting over there, but I can't remember his name. <laughs> well, that's funny. What? What's funny? Oh, he just asked me about you. He what? He just asked about you. He said Here, me... here's a dollar. Forget that I said well, anything, you get it? Yeah. Forget it. But, oh, what's got in the hand? Oh, well, six all kinds of mixed Yeah. What did he say to you? The man that was sitting here? Yes, yes, the one I asked you about a minute ago. Well, oh, yes, it's the same thing you did. Who I was? Yeah, that's right. Thanks. Thanks very much. Pretty gruesome business, the Bradford case. What? Oh, I'm sorry if I startled you. I noticed you were reading about the Nancy Bradford murder. Oh, no, no, no. I I wasn't startled. I just didn't hear you coming. Uh, cigarette? No, thanks. I stick to this old pipe. Easier on the nerves. Light? Thanks. Thank you. My name is Doyle. I noticed you in the hotel dining room at lunch. You just arrived? Yes, I thought I'd get away from New York over the holidays. I need to rest. I'm a radio writer. What, you mean love that soap? No, no, oh. I write dramatic shows. The agency handles the commercials. Radio? Oh, well, then perhaps you knew Nancy Bradford. I understand she did a lot of radio acting. That's why you were so interested in the newspaper account of the murder, hmm? I never happened to meet her. Oh. Uh... I was going out on the lake to try to catch a few bass. I've rented one of the rowboats. It's pretty sunny, but there's some shady spots along the shore. Care to join me? Uh, what'd you say your name was? I didn't say. But it's Hartman, Jerry Hartman. Well, what do you say, Hartman? Care to come along? Well, I, uh, oh, no. I've always felt kind of strange about boats. I, uh, don't swim. Well, don't worry. I swim very well. What about it? We probably won't catch anything anyway. I just thought a little company... But, uh, you feel like being alone? No, no, I, uh, I think I'd like it. Good. The boat's tied up at the end of the dock there. All right, let's go. There it is. I've got tackle and bait for two. If we get thirsty, I've got a thermos of iced tea. You care for anything stronger? I've uh, got a pint. No, thanks. I don't drink. What? And you in the radio business? <laughs> Maybe that's why. I'm on my second ulcer now. Uh, radio's occupational disease, huh? <laughs> well, step in. Thanks. Set? Yeah. Okay, here I come. Now I reach over and unhook the chain. I'll roll. Right? Well, there we go. When you get tired, I'll take over the oars. <laughs> I'm not as fat as you think. A lot of it's muscle. <laughs> you know, it seems impossible that 
He could have got away without leaving a clear trail. What? Who could have gotten away from what? The, uh, Bradford murderer. Oh. I've, uh, toyed with the idea that the man with the blue glasses wasn't the murderer at all. No? Now, look, suppose you were a friend of Nancy Bradford's. You went upstairs and walked into that shambles. What would you do? My impulse would be to get away, not to be involved. Mm -mm, mm -mm. That couldn't have been the way it was. Why not? Well, he spoke to her on the house phone and said so in the paper. The doorman heard him say, hello, darling, it's me, and he went right up. He must have been alive then, you see. Maybe the man in the glasses was bluffing. No, no, and even if he was bluffing, then he was involved anyway. Yeah, it must have been that guy, all right. Only the description of him isn't any use. You wouldn't wear those blue glasses again. You can thank on that. I guess you're right. And those pine needles. Yeah? What about them? Well, he must have come from someplace where he'd walked in pine needles. They stuck to his shoes and maybe to the bottom of his trousers. Plenty of pine trees around here. That's <laughs> a pleasant idea. The Bradford murderer may have been around here all the time. I've been vacationing. That's quite possible. Staring at me. You know, I was just thinking that it's odd that your hair is so bleached by the sun, and yet your face isn't the least bit sunburned. It isn't bleached. That's its natural color. Is that so? Uh, what were you saying about the murderer being near here? Oh, well, I I, uh, I didn't say definitely was near here. I, I just said it's possible. Oh, sure. Sure, it's possible. Anything is possible. Yeah. And then there's the brooch... What brooch? Nancy Bradford's brooch. It was found in a path in the woods here. Some local kid picked it up, turned it over to the cops. They found it here? That's right, a day or two after the murder. How do you know that? What? Well, I... Well, I don't know. I guess I read it somewhere. That's funny. I thought I'd read everything about the case, and I never saw anything about the brooch. Well, I must have read it somewhere. I wouldn't have any other way of knowing. No. No, I suppose not. You'd think if they found the brooch, the place would be swarming with detectives. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe it is. They wouldn't necessarily come out in the open for fear of scaring off their men. Yeah. I suppose they would handle it that way. Since they have no way of identifying the man, they'd just lie low and wait until he made a mistake. What kind of a mistake? I don't know. Probably they don't know either. They'd just wait and hope. This fishing business is overrated. We've been here for 20 minutes already. Well, you got to be patient when you're fishing, Hartman. Say, you wouldn't kid me about being a radio writer, would you? Well, uh, it's a secret. But I'm really a junior G-man. <laughs> uh, say, Hartman, 
How would you go about solving the Bradford case if you were a detective? Well, the doorman's description wouldn't help much. About all you'd have to go on from a physical side is that the murderer is extremely strong. He'd have to be to do the beating job he did on that poor woman. Not necessarily. I believe it's a medical fact that people who are worked into a homicidal rage show evidence of strength far beyond their normal capacity. Something to do with the adrenal glands. Really? I wouldn't know about that. Hey, looks like you had something. Yep, so it does. Grab that net and get him when I'm playing up close. Okay. Hey, it's putting up a little fight. Yeah, rock bass usually do. There, get him. Yeah, got him. All right, dump him on the floor of the boat. Okay. Hey, look at him, he's all over the place. I'll soon stop that. Hand me that stick. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> that did it. Oh, what's the matter, Hartman? Nothing. You're, you're upset the way I subdued the fish. Forget it. They don't feel anything. Cold-blooded. Nice fish. We'll have them for dinner tonight. You were saying, Hartman, you'd expect to see some evidence of a cruel streak in the man you'd be looking for if you were a detective. Did I say cruel streak? Well, sure you did. Or maybe it was the papers. Anyway, don't you think you'd look for that? Yeah. Yeah, I think you could expect that. Not a nice guy to find yourself alone with. No, not nice at all. Uh-oh. Looks like a storm coming up. See how dark it's getting? Yeah, it is. Hey, uh, maybe we'd better think about getting back. Yeah, I guess so. Think we can make the hotel before it breaks? Well, we can try. Here, I'll take in the lines and get things organized. You pull up the anchor and I'll start rowing. Okay. We better hurry. I just felt a drop of rain. Pull the anchor up. Easy. Caught on something. I can't budge it. All right, let me take a whack at it. Now, let me have it. You've got to put your back into it. There we are. Ah, you see how easy it is if you got a muscle or two? Yeah, I see. Well, uh, we'd better hurry. Won't be long now. <laughs> What's so funny? Of course, the murderer would be... Smarter than that. Smarter than what? To show his strength, since that's what the police are looking for. Oh. Now, if I were the murderer, I'd have done what you did. What I did? Demonstrate how weak I was. Too weak to lift an anchor. I see. Yes, that would be the clever thing. <laughs> As a matter of fact, the anchor wasn't stuck very tight. I made it look tougher than it was. Why? Just a gag, Hartman. The idea amuses me. What idea? Oh, that we're both wondering a little bit about each other. Oh, we're in for a soaking, all right. Hey, do you ever wear tinted sunglasses, Hartman? Most blondes suffer from bright sunshine. Wrong pigmentation. Look, Doyle, I don't think this gag of yours is very funny. I wish you'd cut it out. Sorry. I hope you don't mind getting soaked. It's really starting to come down good. I've been wet. Scared, Hartman? No, I'm not scared. I just don't like thunderstorms. I never did. It must be a bit like what happened to the Bradford murderer. What do you mean? Oh, a calm, sunny day, and then the wrath of God. Yeah, then the wrath of God. Why do you suppose he did it, Hartman? Nancy Bradford was a beautiful woman. Young, 
desirable. Some people can't stand treachery. What did you say? I said some people can't stand treachery. Treachery? That's the way some men would look at a turn down. Ah. Maybe they would, Hartman. <laughs> All right. What's the joke now, Doyle? Your hair. My hair? What about it? No, help me, Hartman. I thought the color had run when it got wet. I thought it was dyed. Well, it's not. Yeah, I can see that now. I see a lot of things now. Just a few more yards, Hartman. We'll be safe in the hotel. Yeah, right behind you. Pretty wet. What do you say to a brandy? No, no thanks. I never drink. You never drink. You said that. But after that soaking, you should have something for medicinal purposes. <laughs> ah, you see, you're catching cold. <laughs> well, I got a bottle of brandy. Good stuff in my room. Come on. Well, I'd uh, better change my clothes first. <laughs> You'll die of pneumonia before you do. Look, this is my room right here. Get a good slug of brandy in you first. It'll save your life. What do you say? <laughs> I say okay. Fine. Step in. Thank you. There's the bottle on top of the dresser. Pour yourself a drink. I want to get the shower running in the bathroom. It takes forever to warm up. Be with you in a minute. Yeah, sure. These summer hotels are all the same. Never enough hot water. <laughs> That's right. Take your time. Give me time to look around. I thought so. What? Get your hands up. And turn around, Hartman. I've got a gun. No, keep your hands up. That's right. Don't stop reaching. I had a feeling you'd snoop if you had the chance. That's why I gave you the chance. Find anything interesting in the bureau drawer? So you're the Bradford murderer. It won't work, Hartman. It won't work. You can't get away with it by accusing me. I know you're the Bradford murderer. No, Doyle, you're the killer, not me. I knew it when I saw the way you beat that fish with that stick. When I saw you pull up that anchor and when you kept probing and probing to find out who I was. I knew it the way you reacted to my telling you about the brooch. It won't work, Hartman. Only two people could have known about the brooch. It wasn't in the papers. The murderer... Or a cop. That's right, Hartman. All right, how do you explain these torn and mutilated pictures of Nancy Bradford in your bureau drawer? They came from Nancy Bradford's apartment. So you had to destroy even the symbols of Nancy Bradford. You must have hated her, Hartman. No, it was you who hated her. Even after you murdered her, you had to go on destroying everything that reminded you of it. You ought to know. You ought to know how the murderer felt. You even told me some men would think of a turndown as treachery. It was you, Doyle. You've been hanging around this place because you lost the brooch. You didn't know whether it had been found or not. No one knew for certain but the police. That's right. No one knew but the police. And it was you who wanted to know for sure if it had been found. You were trying to find out for me because you decided that I was a cop looking for you. No. Well, you were right. 
I was looking for you. <laughs> I'll bet the pretense that you weren't strong enough to lift the anchor. Your pretended squeamishness when I beat the fish with the club. It matched the description of the killer, Doyle. Your action. Don't you understand? I did that on purpose just to see how you'd behave. You're a good actor, Hartman. You've been in the radio and theater business. You knew how easy it'd be to fool the doorman at Nancy Bradford's apartment. Look, look, look. Why go on with this, Doyle? Drop your gun. You can't get away with it. Now make a move, Hartman. Stay right where you are. Let's cut the kidding. Hartman, I warn you. Oh, you... Doyle. Well, Hartman, looks like I won. You heard the punch in your room, Stoyle. Oh, you killed him. He's dead. Oh, Bert! Bert! Come here! What is it? Let's go. Look. There, on the floor. Is he dead? Yep. His name was Hartman. He was the Bradford murderer. I'd been looking for him. Special assignment. Yeah, special assignment. Special assignment for murder, you crazy killer. What's the meaning of this? Why'd you hit him? Mr. Doyle's an officer. Officer? Hartman was the officer. The plainclothes detective I told you about. Doyle's the Bradford murderer. Bert, did, uh, did Doyle confess? Yeah, the DA's up there in the room with him right now. Should have heard him boast about that game of wits him and Hartman played in that boat. Well, why'd he kill Nancy Bradford? He was her first husband, a, how does the DA say it, a paranoid killer. Uh, that means crazy, huh? Yeah. She'd been hiding from him, changed her name, remarried. Then Doyle showed up. Seemed all right, wanted to see her to apologize for all the trouble he caused her. You're a rat. Yeah, you know the rest. Doyle's surrounded by cops and reporters, and Hartman is laying in Gormley's undertaking parlor. All by himself. Poor fella. Yeah. Pop, get out that bottle of yours. I need a drink. And that brings down the final curtain on Challenge to the Listener, starring Richard Widmark and Everett Sloan. Tonight's performance in your mystery playhouse. Until next time, please, this is Hunter Galloway closing the doors of your mystery playhouse and reminding you to sleep. Good night. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio Service, the voice of information and education.
Now, Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. Roma Wines presents Suspense. Tonight, Roma Wines bring you Mr. Leon Ames as star of An Evening's Diversion, a suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Roma Wines by William Spear. Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills, is presented for your enjoyment by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. Those excellent California wines that can add so much pleasantness to the way you live. To your happiness and entertaining guests. To your enjoyment of everyday meals. Yes, right now a glass full would be very pleasant. As Roma Wines bring you Leon Ames in a remarkable tale of... Suspense! It was literally just what the doctor had ordered. There wasn't anything in particular wrong with me. Just feeling a little edgy. And I went for a routine checkup. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many hours a day do you work, Mr. Edwards? Well, I don't know, doctor. I never kept track. You get home for dinner very often? Not lately. Grab a sandwich at the drugstore and go on back to the office. I uh, imagine I got a lot of patients like you. The ulcer type of business executive, I call you. You mean I... Oh, no, you haven't an ulcer yet. Just overworked, nervous, strained. A month's vacation is what you need. But, doctor, I Yes, I know they all say that. I'll tell you what you can do, though. Yes? Done wonders for some of my patients, an evening's diversion. Oh, I don't work late every night. Why, I took my wife out to dinner in the theater only last week. Oh, I don't mean that kind of diversion, rushing home and putting on dinner clothes, fighting for a table in a restaurant, rushing out of the theater. That's work, too, I know from experience. Well, then what do you mean by an evening's diversion? Dropping in at the club for a thrilling game of chess? Oh, that's no good either. You wind up talking business. No, what I have in mind is something different. Go out on your own. Go someplace you wouldn't normally think of going, then relax and see what happens. Well, now, look here, Doc. Doctor, I'm a married man. I can't... Well, then you aren't likely to get into any serious trouble. So, that's your prescription. Well, really, no, doctor, don't I... misunderstand me, Mr. Edwards. There's more than one kind of adventure to be found in a city this size. Well, you'd be surprised exactly what you... Well, of course I didn't take him seriously. How could I? In the first place, I didn't have time to go gallivanting around the strange places looking for trouble. And in the second place, I told myself I was too old for that sort of thing. I made a mental note to find a sensible doctor who would prescribe some pills the way a doctor should and went on back to the office. It was after five when I got there and I could have kicked myself for wasting an afternoon like that. There was a stack of briefs on my desk I hadn't even looked at. I met another late night. Hello. Hello, dear. It's me. Oh, hello, Lily. Uh, look, honey, I was just going to oh, call now, you. Oh, Paul, you're not going to tell me you're working late again tonight. I'm afraid so, darling. Oh. Well, I suppose there's no use arguing with you. Did you see the doctor? Yes, I saw him. What did he say? Oh, the usual nonsense. Said I needed an evening's diversion. Well, he's quite right. You do. Uh, maybe so. Anyway, I'll be late, so don't wait up. Paul, do you absolutely have to stay at the office tonight? Absolutely. You couldn't possibly get home just a wee bit earlier. Not a chance. Oh, dear. Well, what time do you think you will get home then? Oh, around 11, 11.30. Oh. Well, there's milk in the icebox if you're hungry when you get in. <laughs> Thanks, honey. Good night. Good night, dear. Now, don't work too hard. No, I'll try not to. Yes, Mr. Edwards? Oh, uh, I'm uh, working late again, Lois. I, I uh, don't suppose you'd be interested in earning some more overtime. Well, frankly, not tonight, Mr. Edwards. I'd like to help out, but I've stayed every night this week, and I'm just dead. Hmm. I don't see how you do it. 
Uh, what, uh, what do you do on your free evenings, Lois? Oh, go to the movies sometimes. Uh-huh. Sometimes my boyfriend and I just drop in someplace that looks interesting and just relax and see what happens. Well, what happens? Sometimes nothing. Sometimes all sorts of things. Once there was a shooting right in the place where we were sitting. Gangsters. Well, that doesn't sound very relaxing to me. Oh, but it is. I mean, you get in a rut kind of going to the office and home again day after day. Uh-huh. I couldn't stand it if there wasn't some excitement now and then. Uh, well, uh, have a good time this evening. Oh, thanks, Mr. Edwards. Anything you want me to do before I go? No. Good night. Oh, uh, Lois. Yes, Mr. Edwards? Uh, what was the name of that uh, place where those gangsters were? Oh, let me think. Oh, yes, Paracino's. It's in a basement, sort of, over on Rod Street near 3rd. That must be quite a place. Uh, Well, uh, uh, good night again. Good night. After she'd gone, I opened the folder and started to read one of the briefs. But I couldn't concentrate. It was stuffy in there. I got up and crossed the room and raised the window. I stood there for a few moments, looking out at all the vast city spread out below me. A warm breeze was blowing from across the river, bringing with it a disturbing smell of trees and damp earth that mingled with smoke and fumes and fetid air of the city and seemed to breed a kind of excitement. Well, suddenly I remembered that I had missed lunch and I was hungry. So I walked out into the corridor of the building and started toward the elevator. I hadn't bothered to get my hat. I was only going out for a sandwich. Going, Doc. Oh, it's you, Mr. Edwards. Good evening, Joe. How's everything? Oh, you know, you know. Can't complain. Going home? No, no, just downstairs for a sandwich. Oh, man, you sure put in the hours, don't you? Oh, I don't mind. I guess your work must be pretty interesting. (laughs) Man, if I didn't do something besides run this elevator and go home, I'd go nuts. Well, what else do you do? Oh, I don't know. Seems like there's always something. Just walking around the city is a heck of a good time as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) You might have something there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, here you are, Mr. Edwards. Thanks, Joe. See you in... Yeah, yeah, I know. In 15 minutes. Yes, I... No. By George, I won't. I won't go back. Something in his tone of voice must have decided me. He wasn't just a fresh kid. He was really sorry for me. When I got outside on the street, that air hit me again. That warm summer air. I started walking, not paying any attention to where I was, just walking and enjoying that wonderful air. I must have been walking for nearly an hour before I noticed where I'd got to. It was Rod Street, and up ahead was a flickering neon sign. Pirocino. The place was bigger than I expected, and stock empty. There were double rows of booths down the two sides of it, and a high partition in the middle. In the gray overhead lighting, it looked like an abandoned stable. I was on the point of leaving the place when a sloppy-looking waitress appeared from nowhere. Just you alone? Uh, Yes, I... uh... This way. (laughs) Look uh, look here, it seems as if I've come in at an awkward time. Early for dinner, but you can have a sandwich. Oh, well, all all right then. This booth all right? Fine, fine. We got ham and Swiss cheese, and that's all. That'll be fine, on rye. Both? Yes. It won't be long. I sat there watching her as she slouched down the narrow aisle of booths to the kitchen. Then she was gone and there was nothing to look at. The silence in the place was beginning to get me. Then I heard the door open and steps coming down the stairway from the entrance. 
Sitting down, I couldn't see over the top of my booth, and I didn't have the curiosity to stand up. They went down the aisle between the booths on the other side of the room. They were both men. One had metal cleats on his heels. In here, huh? The whole row of booths shook when they sat down. They were apparently rather heavy men. When they started talking, I could hear them as plainly as if they were sitting across the table from me. I told you this place would be empty. Why couldn't we talk just as well in your room? I like it here. Well, what do you want? My cut of that 50 grand? Don't rush me. What happened? Same dame double cross you? I didn't say that. All she's got to do is slip that stuff in this coffee. Why don't she do it? I'm seeing her tonight. You've been seeing her every night for three months. What do you talk about? I'm doing this my own way, see? You're nuts about her, ain't you? What if I am? Bad business. Nah, you don't understand a dame like that. It takes time with a dame like that. In the meantime, maybe she gets tired of you and spills the whole caper. That's my lookout. Oh, no, it's not, Maxie. There's me to think of, too, and the rest of the boys. Okay, okay. I'll give her the final pitch tonight. If she stalls me again... You know what to do, Maxie. Hmm. Yeah, where's that slob of a hash slinger? I'm hungry. I'll buy a big feed, Maxie. Uptown afterwards. What makes you so sure I'll have to kill her? Oh, my God. Nothing, Maxie. Just a hunch. Come on, let's get out of here. One thing more, Maxie. Take the subway. No taxis, you hear? Why, oh, my goodness... Here's your sandwich. Want anything with it? Uh, no, 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 no. Never mind. I, I've got to leave right away. Here, here's for the sandwich and, uh, and keep the change. I caught up with him near the corner of 7th Avenue. I knew it was him because of those metal cleats on his heels. I followed him down into the subway. He walked up to the end of the platform. I waited where I was. It was as hot as a furnace down there. My heart was pumping fast with excitement, and I could hardly breathe. But this was doctor's orders, and evening's diversion. I walked to the far end of the platform. He didn't look around at me. When the the train stopped, he went in through the center door. I went in by the door at the rear of the car. Inside the train, I saw him for the first time in a good light. He was well-dressed, almost too well-dressed. He must have felt me staring at him. He he didn't look my way, but he began to jitter. He kept uh, jiggling his right leg and looking at his watch. He wound it, and then he put it to his ear. I studied him. He was more than nervous. He was worried, perhaps frightened. He uh, unfastened the top button of his shirt and loosened his tie. He looked over at me once or twice as if he knew me but couldn't place me. He uh, unbuttoned his coat and tried to relax. But I knew that he couldn't relax. Not with a gun holster under his coat. For suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you a star, Leon Ames, in an um, evening's diversion. A radio play by Stan Schlesinger. Roma Wine's presentation tonight in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Between the acts of Suspense, this is Truman Bradley for Roma Wines. When you finish work hot from these blistering summer days, you deserve something cool to come home to. 
And what could be more refreshing than the frosty luxury of Roma wine and soda? Iced. America's smartest, coolest summer drink. For Roma wine and soda, so good, so cool, so refreshing, is the perfect summer thirst quencher. On a moment's notice, you can serve and enjoy Roma wine coolers. Delicious as a family treat, delightful for entertaining, too. Just half fill a tumbler with Roma California Burgundy or any other fine Roma wine of your choice. Then add ice. Fill with sparkling water and stir. If you prefer a sweeter drink, simply add sugar. Presto, your Roma wine cooler is ready to enjoy. And because Roma draws upon the world's greatest reserves of fine wines, a cooler made with Roma is bound to be better tasting. So for cool, satisfying refreshment, enjoy Roma wine and soda. Insist on Roma, R-O-M-A. Remember, more Americans enjoy Roma than any other wine. And now Roma Wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Leon Ames as Paul Edwards in An Evening's Diversion, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. stopped at the 59th Street Station, and he got up to leave. I followed him out of there. We got off the train, and he hurried across the dark, deserted platform. I walked slowly so that he wouldn't know he was being followed. He went to the rear of the platform and into the phone booth. His call didn't take more than three minutes, and as he came out, I thought I saw a faint smile on his lips. I flattened myself against the wall, hoping he wouldn't notice me, but he lit a cigarette and walked right over. Something I can do for you, mister? Uh, what? I said, is there something I can do for you? No, no, no. That, that You're is, I... following me, aren't you? Well, now, see, here, I, I don't... Shut up. What are you, Dick? A what? A flatfoot, a copper. Well, no, no, I'm but not... you're following me. Well, I, I don't know what you're talking about. You got on at the 8th Street Station. You really? followed me when I got off here. You watched me when I went into the phone booth. Well, I, I... And now you're on my tail again. What's the game? Maybe I'd like to play. No, no, you you play with guns. I don't. Pretty sharp guy, aren't you? Well, you must have a guilty conscience. Let's leave my conscience out of this. Just keep away from me, understand? Keep away or you'll get hurt. Yeah, yes, I, I think I understand. I hope you do, for your sake. Here comes a train. I'm getting on it. You're going uptown, you'll wait for the next one. Yes, sir. Right. I don't want any funny business, mister. Oh. You'll find I've got no sense of humor. He ran for the train, and as he ran, a scrap of pink-colored paper fell from his pocket to the platform. I made no move to pick it up. He was watching to make certain I didn't board the train. At last, the train started. I waited until it was out of sight. People were still clearing the platform. I was about to pick up the scrap of paper when a man hurried by and kicked it to the tracks below. I had to have that paper, so I jumped down to the tracks. There were dozens of papers down there, but only one pink-colored scrap. There was an address written on it, 375 Highland Drive. Hey, you! What do you think you're doing down there? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, officer. I, I dropped an address down here, but I, but I found it. I don't care if you dropped your old lady down there. You're not supposed to be down on the track. I know, but now I... get out of there, but fast. Here, uh, grab my hat. Well, thanks. I, I, 
I didn't mean to, to break the law, officer, but it was important that I get that paper. Hey, you're up. I ought to run you in for this. But I, I hope you won't. What if you was to get hit down there? You'd throw the whole train schedule off. Well, I wouldn't want to cause anyone any inconvenience. Okay, okay. But don't let it happen again. Outside, I hailed a taxi. This time, I was lucky. I got one. Hop in, mister. Where to? 375 Highland Drive. And hurry, please. Uh, traffic is kind of heavy tonight. I ain't got wings, but I'll get you there as fast as I can. I'll make it worth your while. It's a matter of life and death. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm telling you the truth. Hey, mister, I ain't gonna argue with you. But I've been driving this hack for ten years. I've heard that song before. All right, then, don't believe me. But for the love of heaven, please hurry. Okay, okay, I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> now, it's easy for you guys to hop in a hack and say, step on it. But, you know, I get awful tired hearing the same things. You know what I mean? Ah, oh, I guess you wouldn't. You look like the kind of guy who wouldn't let himself get in a rut. But not me. Every day... Well, why, why are you stopping? Red light, mister. There isn't time to stop for red lights. I've got to get to 375 Highland Drive, and I've got to get there before it's too late. Relax, relax, mister. She'll wait. See, where was I? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like I was saying, things get pretty dull for a hack driver. Sometimes, sometimes I think to myself, why not forget about it for a little while? You know, go home. Get the wife. Get the kids. Take the taxi seemed to crawl along, and the driver kept talking, talking, talking. I couldn't understand a word he was saying. His voice, the rattle of traffic, the ticking of the meter, and the beating of my heart all blurred into one great din. It seemed that the driver made every stop sign. The cab was getting stuffy, and his voice began to feel like red-hot needles with bending Shut up! Huh? What? I said shut up. Wise guy. Why are you stopping? There's no red light. No, there ain't. I'll shut up, okay, if you pay up and get out. Get out? You heard me. I don't like your attitude. I may not be much, but nobody walks on me. Now, get out. Well, I'll never get another taxi. Stop. You're breaking my heart. Oh, you fool. This is a matter of life and death. I told you that. Now, look. Here's $5. Get me to three seventy-five. Mister, 500 bucks wouldn't get you to the next corner as far as I'm concerned. Are you going to get out or am I going to kick you out? Look. I'm sorry. I apologize. But please, you must get me to 375. And here's your change. Four and a half bucks. Skip oh. the tip and get out. I've got your number. Your company will hear about this. Yeah, yeah. And I got your number, too. Hit the road, brother. I stood there for a moment watching the taxi and it was out of sight. I was on Highland Drive, all right. But I was five blocks from 375. I began walking. I wondered if I would be too late. The man with the gun must be out of the subway by now. That would put him only three blocks from 375. I walked faster and faster until I was almost running. I knew I was becoming involved in something, but just how involved, I didn't know. If I had felt then like I do right now, I would have turned around and walked in the other direction. As I neared the apartment house, I instinctively slowed down, not out of fear of what was ahead of me, but for what was behind me. I stopped. Someone was behind me. I didn't have to turn around. I knew who it was. You shouldn't have followed me here, pal. But what makes you think I, I don't have business of my own here? Start walking. I got a gun in your back. Where, where are you taking me? Start walking across the street. Don't try anything. I just as soon let you have it now as later. You're, you're going to kill me? You catch on fast. But why? Why? I haven't done anything to you. I don't even know who you are. That's rough. Straight ahead. We're going to take a little walk through the park. Listen, let me go. I, I will repeat this to the police. You have my word. I don't want your word. 
I told you not to follow me, but you did. I don't know how you did it, but you're here. Turn right down this path. You're out of your mind. And you'll be out of your misery. Uh, look, I've got money. I'll give you anything can't you it, want. Can't it. Somebody's coming. Keep your trap shut. Let me do the talking. Oh, oh, see, son. Uh, do you, do you live around here? Who wants to know? Oh, me? Uh, I wondering if, if you know this neighborhood. No. Oh, uh, how about you, mister? Well, I... I don't uh, know the neighborhood either. No? Well, well, could you tell me this much? Would, um, let me see now. Uh, 485 Highland Drive be in this direction? I said we don't know the neighborhood. Oh, you don't? Huh? Well, thanks anyway. Guess I'm going the right direction. My feet are killing me. Oh, hey, you, uh... Shut up. Yeah, well, what is it? Nothing. Hmm? We weren't talking to you. Oh, sorry. Okay. Start walking again. Do you, uh... Do you mind if I ask you something? It all depends. Just who were you going to kill tonight, other than me? A certain party in apartment 1A. What? What are you going to do about it? Oh, I was just curious, that's all. Like a cat, huh? Why were you going to kill this party? This is far enough. You didn't answer my question. I'm through answering questions, pal. Look, why, why, what are you going to kill, uh, gain by killing me? Nothing. But I swear... Except my that... life. I swear... Save that... your breath. Someone else is coming you can't get away with this. Where the devil is all this traffic coming from? Listen, you I... listen, mister. Keep your eye on me and remember I've got this gun on you. Don't try any funny stuff like you did the last time. It's a policeman. Cop. It doesn't make any difference to me. What I said still goes. Nobody can talk to me like that. I'll have you know my kid can lick your kid any old day. Shut up, I said. Don't tell me to shut hey, up. Hey, what's going on here? You keep out of this, officer. Hey, take it easy, buddy. Take it easy. What's with this guy? Oh, don't pay any attention to him, officer. <laughs> he's nuts. But I'm not nuts. a fathead like you, you flatfoot. Uh, you don't know what he's talking about, officer. He just talks a lot too much. You know what I'm going to do when you go? I jump in the river, I hope. I'm going up and down the street and break every window I can reach. Not while I'm around you, not. I'm taking you along with me just for safekeeping. Okay. Oh, yeah? You and who else? Hey, hey, I'll take care of him, officer. I'll take care of him good. Yeah? Well, all right. But you're responsible for yeah. it. Yeah. I don't want to see any broken windows, you understand? Oh, sure. Sure thing, officer. Okay. No one is going to take care of me. I'll take care of myself. Hey! Hey, come back here! Come back here, I said! I don't want any broken windows, you hear? I... I ran deep into the heart of the park. I knew he wouldn't fire after me with the policeman there. I hid in the bushes for almost 20 minutes, time to time, I, I could hear his searching steps. Occasionally, he would he would walk slowly toward the bush I was hiding under. I was afraid to breathe, afraid to allow my heart another beat. And then for a, for a moment, he would stop. I could easily have reached out and touched him. He was that close. Then he would go, still searching. I waited five minutes more, ten, twenty, a half hour. He didn't return. I knew where he had gone. I knew he was about to commit a murder. I went into the apartment house through the service entrance. My legs felt like rubber and my clothes were torn from the bushes in the park. I walked quietly up the steps to the first floor, made sure the corridor was empty, then moved to the door of apartment 1A and listened. For a moment, I heard nothing. And then that familiar voice seeped through the crack beneath the door. So, you've decided to back out. Huh? Oh, Max, I'm afraid. What's there to be afraid of, I'm, sweetheart? I'm afraid for you. We'd never get away with it. Who says we wouldn't? Just you let me take care of him. 
Or maybe you still love them. Huh? I loathe them and you know it. And why hold back? Why make yourself miserable any longer? It's you and me, sweetheart. Do you get that? You and me. That's the way it's got to be. I'm sorry, Max. I can't do it. I won't. You can't back out now. Why can't I? You know too much. Oh, Max, if that's what's worrying you, I would... That's what's worrying me. Don't you trust me, darling? Sure. Sure, when I can see you. That's why we've got to be together. Or maybe you want to bump them off and take all the dough yourself. Oh, Max. Sure. That's it. Oh, what a sap I've been. Don't be a fool. I'm going. I'll, I'll, I'll hear from you, won't I, darling? Not a chance. You won't be hearing from anyone, sweetheart. Max. Max, put away that gun. I'm checking you out, Lily. Max, listen, please. Max, listen, don't do it. I, I'm i with you. You know that, don't you? Let go of my arm. Let go, I tell you. Be careful of you. Lily. Max. Darling, I... Max, I didn't mean to do it. Max, I didn't mean was on her knees weeping for the man she had just killed. I walked quietly toward her, knelt down and reached for the gun at her side, picked it up, moved a few steps back and waited. She must have felt my presence in the room because she stopped sobbing, stood up and turned to face me. Nothing was said. Her eyes were searching mine, growing wider and wider as she found my thoughts. Tiny streams of blood began to trickle from those places where her sharp fingernails had penetrated the palm of her hand. The silence of the room began to roar. And then... Department. Police Department. You'd better send someone over to 375 Highland Drive right away. Apartment 1A. 375 Highland Drive, Apartment 1A, huh? What's up? I, uh, I think you'll call it murder. I just killed my wife. Suspense. Presented by Roma Wines. R-O-M-A. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. Before we hear again from Leon Ames, the star of an evening's diversion, tonight's suspense play... This is Truman Bradley for Roma Wines. The 4th of July marks not only Independence Day, but also the beginning of the really hot summer weather, the sweltering, throat-parching days that melt your energy and burn your disposition. Well, here's a clever California recipe that's famous as a heat beater. To get cool, comfortable, and contented, enjoy an ice-cold, taste-tingling Roma Wine Lemonade. That's right, Roma Wine Lemonade. Delicious, refreshing, and expensive. Now, here's how. Place ice and the juice of half a lemon in a tall glass. Pour three-quarters full with zestful Roma California Burgundy 
or any other Roma wine you prefer, add water and sweeten to taste. Then sit back and sip your way to cool contentment. Roma wine, lemonade, the most refreshing summer drink you ever tasted. So cool to come home to. And remember, Roma, America's favorite wine, makes America's finest wine coolers. So refresh with Roma, R-O-M-A, Roma Wines, America's first choice in wine. This is Leon Ames. I hope you've had a pleasant Fourth of July. I know that for me it's been an exciting holiday to appear here on Suspense. Next Thursday, I'm sure you'll want to listen when a very wonderful actor, Sheldon Leonard, appears in a suspense play called Feast of the Furies, which Mr. Spear has just described to me and which sounds like one of the really dramatic events of the radio season. Leon Ames appeared through courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of the Technicolor musical Easy to Win. Next Thursday, same time, Roma Wines will bring you Sheldon Leonard as star of Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. Produced by William Spear for the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Your host to welcome you through the creaking door into the inner sanctum. Well, went picnicking over the weekend. Found a lovely, restful, woodsy place. Oh, it was beautiful. So quiet, you could hear a body drop. And quite a few did. <laughs> the sun was so hot that one of our party melted to the ground. I'd always wondered over that waxen look about Charlie. Still, it's an ill wind because Charlie had his usefulness at that. Came the deep night, we ran a string through him and played marbles by candlelight. <laughs> Tonight's Inner Sanctum Mystery, Pattern for Fear, was written by John Robert and stars Everett Sloan in the role of Ludwig with Cameron Prudhomme as Larrabee. And now for tonight's ramble in the Never Never Land. We're in the Avalon Lounge, a fashionable metropolitan restaurant. A waiter approaches a table secluded behind an arrangement of tall potted plants. A lone patron sits at the intimate circular table for two. Uh, your order, sir? If you please, I, I will take your order. You know what I want, Ludwig. Oh. <laughs> Caught you unawares, huh? I, I had forgotten you. In five years, one forgets. And I'll reintroduce myself. Captain Larrabee, 9th Precinct. Did you read the morning papers, maybe? Uh, I can recommend our lobster Newburg. The recipe... A page one headline says that Guthrie Stewart... Drop dead of a stroke. Men die, Captain Larrabee. 
Uh, every day men die, so that new I life... I thought maybe with Guthrie Stewart dead and gone now, you'd want to talk about things. You were wrong, Captain Larrabee. I have no wish to talk. Well, in that case, I guess I'll just have to make myself comfortable and wait right here. You are just wasting your time. I don't think so, Ludwig. You're still suffering something in silence. Guthrie Stewart died without a word. But there's an envelope somewhere now on its way over here to you. An envelope? Yes, it's coming by special messenger. The envelope reads, to be delivered on Guthrie Stewart's death. <laughs> Don't look so befuddled. Stewart's lawyer tipped me off about that envelope 15 minutes ago. I said, I'll wait, Ludwig. What I really mean is, we'll wait. We wait. The policeman and I, in a grim watch for the messenger soon to come. Captain Larrabee doesn't say it, but I am his prisoner. The restaurant fills up with people, and my mind sinks back five years to the same table for two hidden behind the plants. I remember a conversation I overheard by chance, and the terror that came out. Are you absolutely clear on what you are to do? The lady murder is my business. Very well. Repeat my instructions again. Okay. I'm up there on the terrace outside his bedroom holding a submachine gun. When the 11.30 train comes around the curve, I shoot to kill. You empty the machine gun into his bed. Understand? You empty it. Yeah, you don't just want him killed, huh? There must be no chance of his surviving this time. This time? So you tried it before, huh? Yes. Here. The address is on the slip of paper. Read it, memorize it, and then destroy it. When do I get paid? Tomorrow at six. Here at this table. I'll leave first. I watched her leave the restaurant. A heavily veiled woman in black whose face I could not see. A man was to be murdered by a killer for hire. A killer with a cold, businesslike look. I watched him read the address, tear it to bits, drop it into the potted plant, and then push the bits of paper under the earth. <laughs> when he left, I recovered the bits of paper and pieced them together. The victim was Guthrie Stewart. The address was Havermeyer Heights, in the suburbs just outside the city. A man's life was in my hands. Murder was to be at 11.30. At 10, I was in Guthrie Stewart's library warning him. But he was only amused. And his wife, too. <laughs> so I'm to be murdered in my bed. Yes, at 11.30 when the train goes around the curve. Well, darling, somebody's undoubtedly heard you snore and has finally decided to take drastic action. Well, you'll make a charming widow, Ellen, if it all comes true. Oh, oh but, but it is true, Mr. Stewart. You joke foolishly. I overheard them plotting. See, I, I, I have here the pieces of paper the killer threw in the base of the plant. Look. Hmm. Well, it's my name and address, all right. But what does it prove? I'm in the phone book. Anybody could jot down my name and address. Anybody. What did you say your name was again? Ludwig. Ludwig Heller. I am a waiter at the Avalon Lounge. You think perhaps I wrote your name down. The way you look at me, I see you think I am a crank. 
Even crazy, perhaps. Well, frankly, Ludwig, I don't know exactly what to think. You... you have no enemies? Not a one, so far as I know. I heard her speak. A voice lusting for blood. Your blood, Mr. Stewart. And I saw him. A man without a heart. A cold machine that kills. You are to die, Mr. Stewart. Hey, hear that. The train close to your home, just as I heard her say. Yes, laugh and make jokes, but when the 11.30 train goes around the curve, you are going to die, Mr. Stewart. A man's life was in my hands. But I couldn't make the victim believe in his own approaching death. I went to the local police station to a Captain Larrabee. There I blurted out the story once more. I waited while he talked to Guthrie Stewart on the telephone. Yes, I got it. Yes, I understand, Mr. Stewart. Sure thing, I'll do just as you say. Look, uh, you, um... L- Ludwig, uh, Ludwig Heller. Look, Heller. I relayed what you told me to Guthrie Stewart. But I told you it was of no use to do that. He just laughs at it. He's not laughing anymore. As a matter of fact, he's hopping mad right now, and his missus, too. Hopping mad at you. At me? At you. He says if you keep peddling that fish story around, he's going to prefer charges of malicious persecution. He will prefer charges against me? Right. In fact, he left it squarely up to me. Now, you're to promise me you go about your business, whatever that is. I'm to clap you in the clink for observation. He, he thinks I am crazy. He's sure of it. As a matter of fact, from the looks of you, I'm not sure you're not crazy either. Now, are you going to do the sensible thing? Yes. Yes, Captain Larrabee. I will go home. The sensible thing. Go home. Eleven o'clock. In thirty minutes, a man would die. And his blood would stain all the rest of my life. Because I was powerless to save him. A sensible thing. Go home, the police captain had said. But I did not go home. I had to see death look deep into its face. I returned to Havermeyer Heights to wait silently in the shadows on the terrace. And watch... He was there, too. The killer and his machine gun. A black executioner waiting and ready. But Guthrie Stewart lived. I saw them in the pale moonlight on the terrace. A shaken man and a frightened woman... Both in their night clothes, armed and unharmed, seeking the assassin, but afraid to search for him. A moment later, I overheard him on the telephone, talking with great excitement to Captain Larrabee. I don't want any publicity on it, but an attempt was just made on my life. Yes. Someone machine gunned my bed while the 11.30 went around the curve. What? I... I wasn't in my bed. A dummy was machine gunned. I fixed the bedclothes to make it appear that I was in bed, just in case, uh, just in case that Ludwig person was really telling me something. I melted into the night like the killer had. Guthrie Stewart was safe, 
I had been spared his death. The sensible thing now was to go home. But I was to have another moment with the police that night. Walking along a tree-shaded road to a bus stop, a police car suddenly flew toward me, and I was ordered to halt. You there! Stop! But I didn't stop. Instead, I ran. I don't know why, but I ran like the wind. Stop or I'll shoot! Still, I ran faster than the bullets exploding behind me. I found a neck of woods and hid. I lay face down in the earth for hours, listening to the night. And then, just before morning, I started back to the city, sneaking along the back roads like... like a fugitive. A curious thing had happened to me. In that night, the deep guilt I was sure the killer must feel had transferred itself to me. Well, Ludwig the waiter sure got himself one big tip to a slaughter. Poor Ludwig, his errand of mercy got him the bum's rush over at the stewards. What do you do with a character who laughs at an advance notice of his own death to somebody else? Strangle him on the spot, I say. That way he'll positively believe you the next time you're around. <laughs> yes, a murder in time certainly saves a lot of wasted breath. Tell a corpse he's dead and he'll never dispute it for a minute. <laughs> Let's worm back into the story. The next evening, I went to the Avalon Lounge to my job, as I always did. The police hadn't called, or Guthrie Stewart. It was as if there had been no night before. But there had been a night before. The same two were at their table again, behind the tall palms, as they had agreed to be. The heavily veiled woman in black, and the hired killer. Five years have passed. But I can remember that conversation I overheard word for word. Bungler, Stewart is alive. I sprayed the bed full of holes like a Swiss cheese, maybe 20 bullets. But he wasn't in the bed. Uh, someone was. From where I stood, I could see a figure all curled up. Well, you've got to do it all over again. Okay. Tell me where and how. Listen carefully. He will be at a shorefront casino in Norwalk tonight. He will motorboat there from Rye and then back the same way. You will wait at his landing pier. When he ducks, you will have your second chance. What do I do? Wait all night at the pier? No. He always returns home close to midnight. Which landing pier do I wait at? Number 19. It's Stewart's privately. The motorboat he drives has a black eagle painted on it. Will he be alone? He usually is. Uh, do you have a face behind that veil? Don't ever try finding out. Guthrie Stewart's life was in my hands a second time, as if I had been appointed keeper of his destiny. I was there, too, with the fog curling around me just before midnight on the docks facing the Long Island Sound. 
I hid. But as before, the executioner stood in the fog and mist, not 20 yards away from me, waiting. There were midnight chimes. And on the water, moving closer, the sound of a motorboat returning to dock. The black eagle on the prow was hardly distinguishable. And then a figure stepped out from the boat to the pier. I saw the killer move and I screamed, Stuart, look out! There is a gunman! He was in a heap on the pier, a white figure. I ran to him and kneeled down to see if life had gone completely. Mr. Stewart! Mr. Stewart! That's not his name, Ludwig. You, you are alive! Very much so. But, but he... My pilot, Jameson. He got the bullets evidently intended for me. You get a pulse? No, I, I, I don't think I do, but I, I'm not experienced in such things. Then let me... He's alive. I will call an ambulance. No, I will. You go home. Oh, but I... Go home, Ludwig. It's better that you do for both of us. It it is better for you that I go home? Yes. I'd like this treated discreetly. I'm an investment broker, quite an important one. I know. You know? Yes, I know a great deal about you. That's odd. Since I have been given your destiny in my keeping... In my hands, I have familiarized myself with things about you. The next day, a heavy manila envelope came to the restaurant for me, from Guthrie Stewart. The letter told me about his investment business, his social position, his fear of scandal and things. Besides the letter, there was a check. A $2,500 check for me. The police didn't come until the next night. Captain Larrabee took me to the station house. Guthrie Stewart was there and Mrs. Stewart. Captain Larrabee was trying hard to understand things. Ludwig, who were you before you began waiting on tables at the Avalon and before you started to overhear murder plots? I was just myself in the world. Oh, quit that kind of talk. I meant, what were you? A waiter. I have always been a waiter. Do you have a mental history somewhere? If you have, better talk up. Might help you out of a jam being mentally irresponsible. Okay, don't talk up. Mrs. Stewart. Oh, yes, Captain Larrabee. On this sheet, I have some of the speeches written. The speeches that Ludwig claims he's overheard that woman make. Now, please read them in your own natural speaking voice. And read them like a woman bent on getting somebody murdered. Captain Larrabee, you dare... Now, look, Mrs. Stewart, no dramatics, please. But... I'm just doing a job. Now, read them, please. Very well. You empty the machine gun into his bed. Understand, you empty it. There must be no chance of his... of his surviving this time. Oh, Captain Larrabee, must I go on? No, 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 that's enough. Is it the same voice, Ludwig, or almost the same voice? No. The voices are entirely different. You can say that positively? Yes. Also, the other woman was taller and much stouter. Okay, that's that. And I'm not surprised. I'm sorry, Mrs. Stewart. You should be. Put your hands out, Ludwig. But put my hands out? That's right. Bracelets for you. 
Ludwig Heller, you're under arrest for attempted murder. I was sent to a mental ward for observation. There were tests, doctors examining me for weeks and questions. And one day again, Captain Larrabee came to question me once more. I found these certificates in your room, Ludwig. They're yours, aren't they? Yes, they are mine. Common stock certificates in the Guthrie Stewart Investment Company. Fifty of them worth a hundred dollars apiece on their face. That's five thousand dollars. Where'd you get five thousand dollars to invest in stocks? It was my my life savings. From waiting on tables? Yes. From waiting on tables. The stocks took a drop, a, a big drop. These certificates are worth about uh, 20 cents on the dollar today. I know that, Captain Larrabee. Yes, a bear market did it, some people think. A lot of big fellows squeezed a lot of little fellows, maybe. Is that how you figure your life savings were wiped out, maybe? Maybe. Guthrie Stewart's market operations cost you your life savings. Isn't that how you figured it? Isn't that why you came around telling him his life was in danger? To terrify him? Get money out of him for saving his life? Maybe even kill him in the end, anyhow? I am tired, Captain Larrabee. I want to sleep now. You're not going to answer? I I wish only to sleep now. Uh, Doctor! Okay, Stahl. Don't confess you toted that machine gun up to that terrace. That it was you firing away on that pier. Play tired, play sick. Even beat the rap that way. But you'll still face charges for extorting $2,500. We've got you dead to rights on that. No, Captain. I sent the $2,500 back. Five years ago, I went from the hospital to jail for months without bail while the police tried to build a case. In the end, there was no evidence, and I was free. Free to be watched through the years. Like tonight, here in the Avalon Lounge. Guthrie Stewart is dead. But Captain Larrabee sits with me as we wait for a messenger to come. Uh, Ludwig Heller? Uh, yes, I am Ludwig Heller. I got an envelope for you. Sign here, please. I'll take that letter, Ludwig. <laughs> it's from the grave. The envelope reads, Ludwig Heller on my death. Guthrie Stewart. Now let's see what's inside. You know what's inside, maybe, Helen? Yes, I think I know. In a second, we'll both know. Hmm. Doesn't say much. Does it say, thank you, Ludwig, from the bottom of my heart? Yes. Yes, it says exactly that, word for word. Guthrie Stewart thanking you? What for? I have here in my pocket a letter for you, Captain. It was sent to me five years ago with a check that I returned. Guthrie Stewart told me to give this letter to you any time I wished. I wish now. Here, Captain. Dear Captain Larrabee, Ludwig Heller's story is the truth, the whole truth. The woman plotting my murder... Ellen, my wife. Not out of hatred, Captain, but out of sickness. A mind that has never been strong. She lives in darkness. And I, too, because of her. If I can keep this secret, 
I can live and perhaps help her. If Ludwig Heller can endure for me and carry my burden, even for a while, Ellen will be hospitalized and we both will hope. Ludwig Heller has the strength. Now, you understand, Captain Larrabee? Those stock certificates I found in your room. We put them there for you to find, Captain. Guthrie Stewart and I. You did that? You took the kind of rap you did for Guthrie Stewart? For a fellow human in distress. Yes. You let yourself be slapped around, hospitalized, jailed, hounded day and night for years, all for, for an absolute stranger? For a reward, Captain. A great reward. Ellen Stewart was pronounced cured six months ago. I am not too young in years, but it has fallen to me, a mere waiter on tables, to bring a new life into the world. The life of Ellen Stewart. Ludwig. Yes, Captain Ludwig. Let's... Let's shake hands. Stop in at the Avalon Lounge, anybody, for the town's best service a la corte. <laughs> Love that Ludwig. A man with a heart of gold and a terrifying knack for business. Other people's business. Big-hearted Ludwig borrowed Guthrie Stewart's troubles and almost lost his own interest in living. <laughs> oh, that suggests tomorrow. I uh, overheard this one while eavesdropping on a short-order cook in a chop suey restaurant. Fool who not mind own business always get the business. <laughs> Inner Sanctum was heard in the United States over CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System, and has been rebroadcast for servicemen and women overseas through the facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio Service, the voice of information and education. Broadcasting System presents Murder by Experts with your host and narrator, Mr. John Dixon Carr, world-famous mystery novelist and author of the recently published bestseller, The Life of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. This is John Dixon Carr. 
Each week at this time, Murder by Experts brings you a story of crime and mystery which has been chosen for your approval by one of the world's leading detective writers. This time, our guest expert is the noted mystery novelist, Kelly Roos. From the innumerable thrillers he has read and enjoyed, Mr. Roos has chosen a story by Robert Foster. To quote Mr. Roos, the story is a fascinating study of an ambitious and corrupt man venturing into the unknown and being caught in a whirlpool of violence and death. And now we present Carl Weber in Two Coffins to Fill. The scene, Nick's Place, a popular roadhouse on the West Coast. It's early evening, and the dimly lit cocktail lounge is empty, save for the bartender and a couple in a corner booth. Roger, we can't go on like this. Why not, darling? I'm tired of meeting you at discreet places, of, of seeing you only when you can get away from your wife. You just have to be patient, Eve. Patient? It's already a year. How long do you think I'll go on waiting for you? What would you have me do? Leave her. Forget about the money. We can get along. On what? Oh, no, Eve. What do you think you'll get from her? I have plans. It'll take time, but I'm very patient. Well, I'm not. I can't go on waiting, Roger. I won't. I'm sorry, Edie. Another drink? Nothing affects you, does it, Roger? War, famine, or love. You're a man with only one weakness, money. Why is it that women can never break off without creating a scene? Why, you arrogant... Oh, what a fool I've been. All right, Roger, I'll, I'll break off without creating a scene. Goodbye, Roger. I'll have another, Steve, and put a dash of bitters in it. Hello, Thornton. Your friend left in a hurry. You're quite observant, Al. I'm a student of human nature. Nick's having a game in the back tonight. Interested? A game? Poker. Yes. Since my date's walked out on me, I'll play a few hands. Tell Nick I'll be there. It's amazing how one small weakness can disrupt an otherwise orderly and well-thought-out plan. My wife, Frida's first husband, left her with a manufacturing plant and holdings amounting to something like four million. That's a comfortable sum of money. And I'm a man who likes comfort, or I wouldn't have married Frida. She was 40 and tired, and no bargain special in the marriage market. But I had plans. Plans that didn't include murder. Not then. I was a patient man. Patient until a weakness occurred, and I spent the night playing cards in a back room at Nick's place. That night cost me $30,000, all on my signature. Perhaps that's why Nick's gun-happy friend Al was so insistent a couple of weeks later. I was sitting at the bar in Nick's. Pardon? Yes? You busy? That depends. Nick wants to see you in his office. Wants to see me about what? I didn't ask him. Well, tell him I'll drop back after I finish his drink. Make it now. What? I said now, Thornton. All right. All right, let's have it your way. Hello, Roger. Good evening, Nick. 
sit down. Before I sit down, let's have an understanding. I don't like the idea of your man here pushing me around with a gun. A gun? I kept it covered, Nick. And we don't want any trouble, Al. Nobody's seen me. Don't mind Al, Roger. He takes his work seriously. Perhaps someone will take him seriously someday. Al's a good boy. For a price. Right, Al? That's right. I'm not interested in the merits of your bodyguard. <laughs> Sit down, Roger. You're getting red in the face. Al, mix us a drink, will you? Sure, Nick. Coming up. Roger, what about that 30 grand you owe me? I'll pay you when I get it. That's a poor bet, Roger. I've been checking on you. What do you mean, checking on me? You're a punk. That wife of yours has got all the dough. You haven't got a dime. My personal affairs don't concern you, Nick. I'm a right guy. I've never given a right guy a bum break yet. About that, Al. That's right. I'm a gambler, Roger. When I lose, I pay off. When I win, I aim to collect. Now, before you start laying down the law, Nick, that happens to be an uncollectible debt. Yeah, yeah, I got a lawyer, too. When you say uncollectible, Roger, you want to figure all the angles. What angles? Al, what do you figure this guy's worth? About 30 grand. Which way? Either way. What are you talking about? What do you mean, either way? Tell him, Al. Sitting up or lying down? Now, see, see here, Nick. I can see, Roger. And I want you to see me tomorrow with 30 grand. I said I'd pay you. Tomorrow. I don't know if I can get it that soon. I don't like punks like you, Roger. You're crummy. With all that dough you're tied up to, you're still crummy. I'll, I'll do the best I can. When I said tomorrow, Roger, I wasn't kidding. Was I, Al? You sure wasn't, Nick. I didn't like Nick calling me crummy. Whatever I was, I wasn't Nick's kind of tramp. I was furious with myself for becoming so stupidly involved with him in that card game. And Frida, Frida had me tied down as if I were a child, making me account for every nickel. If I'd had her, then I... I could have killed her. I'd had to have a talk with Frida. When I got home, she was in the library. You're late, Roger. I stopped for a drink. Don't you have your cocktails here at home? You said you were going to the doctor. I did go. Well, I thought you'd be late. Well, not this late. Is this going to be another session, Frida? No, no, it's not going to be another session. Roger, we're growing apart, aren't we? Oh, for heaven's sake. Now, please, Roger. You've stopped treating me like a child. Do you know what someone called me today? Do you, Frida? No. Crummy. He called me crummy because I'm... Well, because I'm tied to your apron. Oh, right? now, How do you think I felt? Vice president. Uh, I signed my name to half a dozen letters, and that makes me a vice president. Oh, I'm sick of it. I'm sorry. You're sorry? Did you marry me so you could push a button and have me come running? Now, don't be absurd, Roger. Why am I? Put yourself in my place. I have put myself in your place. Tonight, while I was waiting for you. What do you mean, Frida? Well, I thought it'd be nice if we could spend the weekend at the lodge. The mountain? Yes, Roger. Why? Oh, we could... We could talk things over. Oh, why can't we talk it over now? A weekend vacation together would be nice. Oh, then you didn't have anything to talk over. It's only a ruse to get me up to the lodge. No, 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 it wasn't a ruse. You've been wanting to handle the advertising for the plant. I wanted to surprise you. You mean you're... You're turning the advertising over to me? Yes. 
I'll control the whole department, uh, everything. Everything. Why, why that's wonderful, darling. Uh, uh, of course, it's a surprise, a charming surprise. Does it make you happy, Roger? Uh, of course it does. Now I have something to, to do, or something I can sink my teeth into. Then will you go up to the lodge for the weekend? Well, uh, why don't you run up by yourself this time, Frida? You need the rest, you know, and I, uh, I have something important to tend to. I wanted you to go. Of course you did, dear. But uh, next time, Frida, uh, next time, I promise you. Frida's act was more considerate than she realized. Having access to some funds, I could pay Nick, write it off to advertising. <laughs> For a moment, I felt almost kindly toward Frida. But then, as I stared at her, long and hard, wondering if I could care for her even remotely, my thoughts were revolted. I hated her for condescending to place me in charge of the advertising department. I knew I could no longer tolerate her, standing in the way of everything I was waiting for. Not until the next day did I conceive the plan. I was ready when Nick's bodyguard, Al, came into my office. Nick sent me over. I didn't think it was a social call. I don't like jokes. You're very businesslike, aren't you, Al? I work for a living. When you work, you work hard, and when you play, you... You play hard, is that right, Al? That's right. Uh, could you use, say, um, 5,000 to, uh, to play with? I don't like chiselers. Chiselers? You heard me. Oh, you think I'm trying to buy you off because of the money I owe Nick? What am I supposed to think? I see. Well, here's a check for Nick. What do you think now? 30 grand. How do I know this is good? You're smarter than that, Al. Okay, what's on? What's 5000 worth to you, Al? Could be worth anything. Nick doesn't come in on this? No, no, no. This, this is just between us. How hard is it? Yeah, it may be it's difficult. For ten grand, I might see you. Ten thousand? Is it yes or is it no? Well, I... I don't know yet, Al. I, uh, I'll give you a ring tomorrow, Nick's. I have to make some arrangements. <laughs> Frida. Yes, Roger? Are uh, you still planning to go to the mountains for the weekend? No, not without you. Well, I've been thinking uh, you do need a rest, you know. Oh, I can rest just as well right here. Yes, yes, I realize that, but, uh, well, I thought I might come up to the lodge with you. Oh, Roger, do you really mean it? Of course, dear. Oh, I, I'm so glad you decided to go with me. Oh, there's just one, just one thing, Frida. Yes? I won't be able to come up until later Saturday evening. Oh, I don't mind driving up late. You, you, you don't understand, Frida. I, uh, I expect you to drive up early. Why, Roger? Well, you can check over the repair work that needs to be done on the lot. Repair work? Yes. Uh, I ran into an old friend of mine today, Frida, a carpenter, Al Graves. He's, uh, well, he's a bit down on his luck, and, uh, you know, the lodge could stand some work. Oh, that's, that's perfectly all right with me, Roger, but must I go up early? Well, we don't want him hanging around, do we? Mm, no. No, of course not. Good, good. Then I'll ride up with Al. Now, when we get there, we can discuss the repairs. He'll look things over, and then he'll drive on back in his own car. And you want me to go up early so I can make a list of the things to be done? Yes, yes, please. That's it. Uh, do you mind about the carpenter, I mean? Of course I don't mind, Roger. I'm just so happy that you want to go.
Thanks for the drink, Totten. You, uh, you haven't answered my question, Al. I'm thinking. Thinking what? Murder's quite a rap. And your proposition? If you want to forget it. I didn't say that. Then you'll do it. When's the payoff? A thousand now. Nine thousand Saturday night. You want it done about nine o'clock? Just so it happened before I get there. Now I get a ride back with you. Yes, yes. Maybe you try to pull something like the cops. I couldn't ring, risk bringing the police in. You're smart enough to know that. Smarter than you think, Thornton. All right, now. Now, it has to look like a struggle and a robbery. Leave that to me. Is everything okay with her wife for me to ride her up there? It will be. Saturday morning. Charles, this is Mr. Thornton. Oh, good morning, sir. May I speak to Mrs. Thornton? Very well, sir. She's right here, sir. Uh, Roger? Oh, I was afraid you might have left for the lodge already. Uh, no, no, not for an hour yet. Uh, Frida, uh, I wonder if you'd mind doing something. Well, what is it? Well, Al Graves, the carpenter who is going to drive me up. Yes? His car has broken down. It's in the garage. Would you mind terribly taking Al up with you? Oh, and Roger, really, I... He could look over the repairs himself that way. Well, when will you come up? As soon as I'm finished working at the office, I'm, I'm working on the new advertising program. Well, I suppose I... I could have Richard take Al and myself up in the sedan. Oh, you, you don't have to bother Richard. Uh, why not take your convertible? Oh, couldn't we have that carpenter come up some other time? Roger? All right, all right. Let's just forget the whole thing, Peter, if you wish. You can go on up alone. Now, now Roger, you know that... Uh, things must always go your way. Car? Yes. Al can use it to return to Tommy. Well, all right. Uh, where'll I pick him up? On the corner of Hawthorne and Orange. Hawthorne and Orange. Yes, I'll tell him to watch for the convertible. All right, Roger. I I'll see you at the lodge tonight, darling. Things for the past few days have moved so amazingly fast and remarkably well that I, I had little time to reflect upon my emotions. Frida's surprising agreement to my wishes, I knew was merely a, a new tack in her attempt to draw me closer to her. And yet, as I drove through the lane to the lodge in the evening, I had an unaccountable fear. The wind whined through the trees, and the eerie sound disturbed me. I parked the car and sat for a few moments watching the lights in the lodge. It was ten o'clock. Alf should have been finished long ago. I got out of the car, walked to the veranda, and opened the door. You finally got here. Yes. Well, how does it look? You satisfied? Uh, I said to make it look like a struggle. Well, don't it? I guess it's all right. You got the dough. Where is she? In the bedroom. Go in and take a look. Turn on the light. No, no. I, I can see. Satisfied, Thornton? She's... She's partly under the bed. Yeah, she got scared. She tried to hide. I had to follow. Shut the door. 
I said shut the door. You're a funny guy. Why? You figure all this out and can't stomach your own stuff. Let's sit down and have a drink. Sure. You got the dough? Yes, yes, sure. Oh, there should be some glasses here. On that shelf. I'll fix the drinks. When I get that drink, we're going to blow. Where's your car? Garage. Want to see it? No. Here you are. You need it worse than I do, Fenton. Uh, well, you go from here, Al. A trip, maybe. Well, you have nothing to worry about from me. That I know, Fenton. How was it? How's it done? Gun. Did you leave it? I'll get rid of it. Well, here's to you, Al. Yeah. All right, Thornton. Now, let's have the dough. Uh, certainly, certainly. I've, I've got it right here. I've been thinking about you, Thornton. I think Nick's right. You're crummy. Oh, now, you shouldn't feel that way, Al. I had to do it over it. You won't. Say, I, I'm sick. I mean, what'd you put in that drink? Why, nothing, Al. You, you double-crossing. I'll kill you, Al. Will you, Al? I poured some of the liquor on Al and dipped the bottle over. Then I carried him out of the lodge, across the carpet of pine needles, to the bluff a hundred yards away. I placed one of Frida's expensive bracelets in his pocket, along with some money and articles of lesser value. I dropped him over the bluff. Heard his body strike the rocky stream bed, 300 feet below. I went quickly to my car and drove away. I drove rapidly for an hour till I passed an all-night diner. I wheeled the car around in the highway, pointing it back in the direction I'd come. Then I ran the car into a ditch, hard. The front fender crumpled against the wheel and the tire blew out. I couldn't have wished anything better. This was it, my alibi. I walked a mile up the road to the diner. As I opened the door, a car pulled up. When I entered the cafe, a girl got out of the car and followed me in. Where'll it be, folks? Coffee, please. And you, mister? Coffee. Say, uh, is there a tow truck around? Tow truck? I blew out a tire and went into the ditch about a mile down the road. And Jim Parson has a tow truck. And him and the missus went into L.A. Won't be back till Monday. Here you are, miss. Monday. Wreck your car bad? Uh, Smash the wheel. I don't have a spare. Oh, that's too bad. Going far? Well, my lodge, about 50 miles up. The Thornton place. Roger Thornton. My wife's there. But I'm sure she's all right. Well, you don't stand much of a chance of getting a ride going that way this time of night. I suppose not. If you use a phone there, reverse the charges. No, no, the phone's disconnected up at the lodge. You might be able to hitch to L.A. Once in a while, there's a car going that way. That's an idea. Anything else for you, miss? No, thanks. How much? Ten cents. Thank you. Good night. Good night. <laughs> I reckon the young lady didn't want a passenger. I thought it seemed. Say, I think I will use your phone. Help yourself. Have you got that straight, Charles? 
Yes, sir. I'm to call the auto club and have them pick up your car. It's quite a way to the lodge, so I'm going to try to get a ride back to town. It may be rather late before I get in, so leave a light in the library. Very well, sir. Good night, Charles. Thank you for the use of the phone. Oh, that's okay, mister. Could you uh, use a drink? I ain't never been known to turn one down. I got a bottle in my car. Well, that's quite a walk. It's nice out, and I could use a drink myself. <laughs> Suit yourself. You don't mind if I sit around after I get back. Maybe I can pick up a ride. Glad to have you. I'm open all night. Good, good. I'll be right back. Mister? Uh, yes? Did you say you wanted a ride to L.A.? Why, yes, yes, if you're going that way. Hop in. Well, thank you very much. I would have asked you in there, but I didn't want to give the counterman the wrong idea, Mr. Thornton. How did you know my name? You told the counterman. Oh. Oh, of course. I was just going to get a bottle out of my car. I already got it. You got it? Sure. Nice car, thirsty girl. I had a hunch. Uh, how long were you with the car? Long enough to find the bottle and see your name on the steering post. I thought you heard me tell the counterman. I did. So then I knew you as a gentleman. Mr. Thornton. Yes? Why'd you turn your car around and run it into that ditch? What? I know all about you, Mr. Thornton. Who are you? What's your name? Stella. Stella what? Just Stella. Look out! You nearly turned us over. Either stop this car and let me drive, or... Or what, Mr. Thornton? Stop this car. When we get to Nick's. You say Nick's? I'm Al's girlfriend. No. Didn't you think Al could have a girlfriend? Why did you pick me up? What do you want? I want that $9,000. Do you think I carry that kind of money around? And did you think Al was stupid enough not to have somebody cover him at the lodge? You were there? You, you saw... Yes, I was there, and I saw. You're a very brave girl, Della. Threatening me. I don't scare easy. I know you're calm. Oh, do you? This is a gun, Mr. Thornton. I'm not afraid to use it. You're a very stupid child. If you try anything, I'll wreck this car. What's that, Kurt? I'll take it. Oh, oh, oh. Now, stop that power or I'll kill you. No, you won't. I'll hold that wheel. Let go. Let go of me. Let go. Yes, stop me. Get out of the car. Get out. I'm, I'm willing to talk to you. Get out. My arm. Now, turn this ravine. I was only kidding you. I wanted to scare you. I was... My only witness. Please, let me tell you. Let me talk to you. This will do. Wait. You've got to let me explain it. When the girl told me she'd seen me kill Al, I, I went out of my head. I... I didn't know what I was doing. I shouldn't have killed her. I was stupid. But I, I couldn't help it. I couldn't stop. I, I drove the girl's car into town and left it on a side street. I dropped the gun down a sewer and caught a bus home. It was, it was almost daylight. I was tired and sick. But it was all over. It was all over. I unlocked the front door. Quietly entered the house. My house. I was too beat up to sleep. What I needed was a bracer. I went into the library. Good morning, Rogers. <clears throat> what, what are you doing here? I've been waiting since you telephoned Charles. 
I, I killed him. What? I killed them both. You, you uh, killed them? Uh, Alan, the girl, and, and you're here. Oh, <laughs> oh I, I'm so sorry for you. I had it all figured out. I did, I had... That man, oh. Al, the carpenter, he told me everything, Rochester. I had to pay him. You? And it was the girl I saw. She was in the bedroom, pretending to be you, pretending to be dead. Al framed the whole thing as a shakedown. He never intended to kill you. Oh, I'm so sorry for you. You said that, you said that. Who are you to feel sorry for me? I love you. I'm going to miss you, Roger. Love? Then why did you do something? Why didn't you tell me? I didn't know. I stayed home hoping you'd come here and we could talk things over before you did anything rash. Rash? You call it rash? You know what I've done? That's why I'm so sorry for you. Say that once more, once more, Frida. It was greed, wasn't it, Roger? Greed for my money. I hate you, Frida. I know. And I love you. Isn't it strange, Roger? It's pathetic. What I wanted to tell you at the lodge, Roger. Or if I'd only told you sooner. What do you mean? Frida, what do you mean? I'll tell you. But it's too late now, Roger. You've killed two people. And you'll hang. I'll let you. What are you doing with that gun? I haven't any money, Roger. I've been wiped out. That's what I wanted to tell you. You needn't have killed them. No, Frida. No. But I still love you. No, no. And I won't no. let you hang. Goodbye, Roger. <laughs> And so the curtain falls on two coffins to fill, which was chosen by guest expert Kelly Roose. This is your host, John Nixon Carr, hoping you'll be with us next week at this time. In the cast of Two Coffins to Fill, which was written by Robert Foster, were Carl Weber, Eleanor Phelps, Jimmy Stevens, Miriam Wolfe, and Maurice Tartland. This is Phil Tonkin speaking. <laughs> 